This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, The Rock and Swarm are 2-0, while The Rush, Black Wolves, and Bandits are 0-2. Speaking of The Swarm, they're averaging 18 goals per game right now. We get our first taste of overtime magic, and is there anything better than Roughnecks and Stealth? All that and more on OTCB. What is going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. If you want to get a hold of me here at the podcast, you can. Two simple ways. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. A couple of things we're going to discuss and dissect this week. Um, a few more thoughts that have kind of popped through my head um, with this U-Hawk camera that we're seeing. Um, it's, you know, players are still wearing it. And I've, I've noticed something. And maybe you've noticed it too. But it could work against guys who decide to wear them or just in general guys who are on the floor. And I'll tell you why a little bit later on in the show. We'll set you up with week four in the National Lacrosse League, four games on tap. And if you're not excited, well, you should because all four games have some pretty interesting storylines. And then, of course, our guest this week. I promised you last week that we would have one, and we have one of the best in the National Lacrosse League, a great friend of the show, um, one of the classy guys of the National Lacrosse League, and a guy that I just uh, I love talking with and enjoy having him on the show, but also just watching him hone his craft in Saskatchewan. He is I Love Lucy's on Twitter. Not Lucy, Lucy's. Us lacrosse guys, we make really good slash bad lacrosse puns. Um, Chris Corbeil, we'll stop by, the captain of the Saskatchewan Rush, and he has some very poignant things to say. Um, I caught up with him on Monday after he got finished work, and uh, he was on his way to the gym, and we had a pretty good conversation. And, and you know, as a captain, he takes a lot of it. And, you know, you'd expect that from a leader of Corbeil's caliber and pedigree. But it's not just on him. It's a full team collective agreement. And that's where we're going to start this week. The Toronto Rock, 2-0. Didn't see it coming. The Georgia Swarm, 2-0. Didn't see it coming but kind of not surprised. The Rush 0-2, very surprised. The Bandits 0-2, very surprised. And the Black Wolves 0-2, kind of surprised. And yet still surprised. The Toronto Rock, even though they have again, somehow are getting bit by the injury bug. Steph LeBlanc missed the first game with an injury. Brett Hickey, Missed the second game with an injury. They had to put Dan Lintner on the suspended list. And yet they still won. And for the most part, controlled that game against the Saskatchewan Rush in Toronto. They scored, I think, on their first two shots. I know they scored on the opening shot of the game. And they continued to roll to an 8-2 score at the end of half. So the intermission break happens, and you would expect Toronto would go in their locker room, high-five and fist-pumping, everything's great in Rockland. 
On the other side, I'm sure Derek Keenan and the leadership group of that team had some things to say, and you would expect, you would expect this team that has won back-to-back championships was playing with a fairly complete lineup, probably the best lineup that they could dress, and yet at the start of the third quarter, boom! And so the Toronto Rock with possession here, out the back door, scored again! A quick start! to the corner for the Rock. They scored 10 seconds into the game, 19 seconds into the third. Toronto strikes again, nine to two. They would add one more shortly after to take a 10 to two lead over the rush a minute into the third quarter. Now, this is the glass half full, glass half empty kind of conversation. Are you happy that they had the 10 to lead only to be outscored Nine to two, sorry, nine to three over the last, what's that, uh, 29 minutes of the game, allowing the rush to get back into it, and yet still being able to squeak out a 13 11 win. It's a glass, again, like I said, half full, half empty kind of thing. Because, yeah, it's great that you're able to race out to the lead, but you had to hold on. And you allowed the rush to get to a thin one at one point. So you have to take the good with the bad. Now, I'm sure this will be reviewed by everybody in the Rock staff, and I'm sure they're going to be okay because they're 2-0. They're sitting pretty, and it's a completely different start to the year than they had last year when they raced out to an 0-6 start. But I think when you look at this Rush organization, I have some questions about it, and I'm going to talk about it after the interview um, with Chris Corbeil because we I kind of ask him this question and it's about the um, the persona of the Rush team and if they have a little bit of arrogance to them. And you'll hear why I kind of pose this question to him because of some of the things that the Rush did before that game and it's something that the Rush organization has been doing for quite some time. It's just more magnified now that they're champions. However, we'll get to that in the interview with Chris Corbio. He joined uh, me yesterday, as mentioned. And the first thing that we did was kind of go back to the game in Georgia. And I asked him if his team's performance was due to the fact that it was A, the longest travel trip of the year for most guys, uh, B, the fact they were missing Aaron Bold and Ben McIntosh. What was it that sort of was the catalyst for that unfortunate first game uh, it, uh it's tough to quantify to be honest but uh you know looking back i, I think missing both those guys uh uh you know definitely hurt us you know you, you obviously expect to have your starting goalie uh to start the year and ben's a huge cog in our offense so uh you know being out those guys obviously hurt us but uh another tough aspect of it was the the flights our vancouver guys had to spend a, spend the night in toronto and they they didn't actually fly into Atlanta until game day. So, yeah, uh, all kinds of stuff that, that you know, kind of didn't go as we needed it to. But that's uh, part of being a professional. You guys able to deal with it. We didn't do a, do a good job dealing with it. And uh, the result is a cool loss. Yeah, and that, that stretch through the end of the second quarter where all the way to the end of the game where you guys got outscored 14-3, to what do you think was – 
was the byproduct of that? Was that just, you know, not anything left in the gas tank, or, or was that just Georgia being this high-powered offensive juggernaut that we're seeing uh, has become? Yeah, I, th- I think it's that. It's, it was, it was you know, <laughs> when it rains, it pours, it felt like during that game. And, uh, you know, we just – we didn't have an answer for them. And, you know, I, I saw guys were – I didn't think guys were quitting, and that was, you know, the – sort of a good sign but mm-hmm. I guess the bad thing is when you're not quitting and you're still allowing goals at that pace it's it's pretty incredible but you know uh we just we didn't have an answer for them defensively and offensively you know we just our, our shooting was off and we we couldn't score and it just seemed like we couldn't get anything going it's like I said it's hard to really pinpoint exactly what it was that was contributing to all that but uh it made for a pretty painful second half it had to have been a pretty painful first half in the Toronto game. Uh, you guys end up at, at one point it was 10 to two. This was a defense that everyone, you know, looked at as not unbeatable, but like the, the top defense in the league. And now we've seen you guys have a couple stretches where you've given up 18 goals kind of thing in, in these long stretches combined. Are teams figuring you guys out or is it a communication thing? Um, you know what? I I think it's getting everybody on the same page first and foremost. Uh, you know, we got some new bodies back there, um, so you know, making sure making sure everybody's like I mentioned on the same page. But I think part of it too is a, a lot of these goals aren't going in on us five on five. Yeah. Uh, you know, a majority of the goals are transition goals, they're power play goals, and and that just comes down to discipline, right? We got to be disciplined in getting off the floor in time to cut off transition. We got to be disciplined running up the floor in reverse transition, making sure we're not making a three-on-two, a four-on-two, so that then when they pick up the rebound, it's coming back on us three-on-one kind of thing. Uh, and staying out of the box, obviously, you know, it's, we've, we've got two five-minute penalties in the second half in uh, in both games, like one each game, and mm-hmm. you know, like when you're short, uh, short-handed for a sixth of the half, like that's that's. That's difficult, and you know, yeah. with the third on the floor, games are being called a lot tighter, and you're seeing a lot more special teams. And uh, you know, teams have teams. Everybody's got good shooters, and you know, when you when you're a man down, you're you're giving them a good shot no matter what. So, uh, I, I think five on five, we're okay. We could definitely be better, but the biggest thing is just you know limiting their opportunities outside of, outside of five on five and special teams and transition. Have you noticed uh, the refs being that the third ref being that much of a difference? You know, we've seen a lot more penalties being called, as you said, but is it that evident? Uh, I thought it definitely was in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, maybe not so much in Toronto uh, on Saturday night, but uh, I mentioned the five-minute penalties, and like Bowlby got a five there for for his hit, and mm-hmm. you know that's that's something the league addressed in the off season after what happened uh, with 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 Carson and uh, Buki last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought what, what Aaron did wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't as violent, wasn't as vicious, but, you know, obviously the league's putting emphasis on that. So you wind up with a five minute penalty. And then in Georgia, it was all special teams. Yeah. And, you know, I, I thought there was way too many calls, but I'm not going to blame the refs because it was going both ways. We, uh, we kind of, you know, got hosed on it during certain points of the game, but then there was a few times where Georgia was going to the box and I was looking at the replay thinking, well, that's not a call either in my, you know, my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, 
tough to see how it all plays out. I'm, I'm sure they'll, you know, there's an adjustment for the refs too, right? They're trying to do their job, but, you know, obviously going from two to three is a, a difference for them, and, and they'll slowly figure it out, and eventually they'll perfect it. But uh, I think there'll be some growing pains with it, obviously. Good news is for you guys, you get to go back home. Uh, it's banner night, you know, expecting a big crowd at Draftel. You're in front of your hometown crowd. But it's not a time for panic in that locker room, is it? Uh, no, definitely not a not a time for panic, but a, a time for a little bit of, you know, reflection. Um, and, yeah, no, we definitely need this home stretch. It'll be nice to get back home to play in front of our fans, have the crowd on our side, um, you know, and hopefully we can uh, we can use them to gain a little momentum. But, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly looking forward to it, but we're an experienced group. Uh, you know, we, we've had a little bit of change in the roster, but for the most part it's, it's, the, it's the same guys and uh, – you know, we we don't need to worry about whether we have the right guys in the room to do it. We've we've proven the last couple of years we can we obviously have the personnel in place to to do well in this league and and win a championship. So it's really just a matter of putting it all together. And uh, you know, it's about playing playing smart and and working hard. And I don't think we were doing either one of those particularly well the first two games. So uh, you know, preparation for this weekend is going to be huge. Uh, as the captain of this group, um, do you wear a, a lot of the performance of your team on your shoulders, or, or do you, you know, just kind of let it slide? No, I, I wear it, and I wore a lot of it after the Georgia game. And you know, sometimes the early season loss it really isn't the worst thing, especially mm-hmm. a spanking like we took in, in Georgia. It's a bit of a wake up call, and uh, you know, it, like I said, it's, it's, it's sometimes not the worst thing to kind of get one of those rude awakenings and uh i thought we would come out with uh with a lot more energy a lot more tempo and 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 something to prove against toronto on saturday night and uh as you mentioned you know fast forward 35 minutes into the game we're down 10-2 and i never would have expected that i didn't you know i didn't think we were going to steamroll them i didn't think you know they were going to steamroll us i thought it would be a battle but i i I definitely didn't think we were going to come out as flat as we did so uh, yeah, I, I think leadership definitely has to own that, and and uh, you know obviously that falls on me and, and and some of the other guys on the team for for simply not having the guys prepared mentally to for that game, and it, yeah. it showed. It is like you talk about you know it's good to get a smack in the face every so often. Is there a bit of a a swagger to this team that might be a little too high right now, and and these two losses might be a sign of that? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Uh, you I guys think go to Toronto if, and you guys are handing out jerseys. I know this is on you guys, and this is you know behind the scenes and not something you guys can kind of yeah. you know care about. But you know, you guys are handing out jerseys to TSN people and jerseys for Drake and Bobby Mack shows up. So you guys shoot around. You guys kind of walk in like you know we're the champs and this is our city. And then yeah, you get it. Then you get punched right in the mouth, and and that's yeah. kind of a reflection of off the floor to on the floor, but. You know, I've been a part of that Rush organization when Bruce Urban was taking out full-page ads in the Toronto Sun when we'd come to town. And it kind of goes from top to bottom. Is, is it a bit of a an ego thing within the organization? Uh, I, I, I don't it's, – it's, I think of our group, and it's tough to think of our group, in my opinion, and, you know, obviously I'm biased as egotistical or, you know, with that kind of swagger. But I definitely think you could, you could use the words complacency, and I, I think we've – We've maybe forgotten just how much hard work it requires to win games night in, night out in this league. Uh, you know, there's only eight other teams, which means there's a ton of talent in this league on every single roster. 
And when you don't come to play, you're not guaranteed to win. Like, you know, two-time defending chance does not matter. Yeah. Uh, you got to come out and play. It's just not enough to put on the equipment. There's not the dis- disparity of talent in this league like there is in summer lacrosse where, you know, all Six Nations has to do is show up to beat Coburg. That's not yeah. enough. Yeah. You, you, you got to come ready to play. And I, I you know, <laughs> organization talked out. He talked about all that stuff. I, I, I think of our guys, and I honestly don't think they think they're they're, they're better than everyone. But I, I think there's with our guys there, there was that sense of complacency where it's okay. Maybe I don't have to work quite as hard as I think I do. And and mm-hmm. and they realized they were wrong. So what's the message to your group before you go out for this game against Rochester this weekend? You know, you're the guy, you're the captain, you get the last say in that room before the door opens. What's the message? <laughs> I got all week to think about it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think the first bit of it is something we already talked about, and it's it's yeah. like, hey, don't panic. That's going to be the message. And, like, because here, here's the thing. When you start off 0-2, and 0 2 in the manner we did, like, you know, we 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 crawled back against Toronto, but mm-hmm. we're we are getting spanked in both games. So in that uh, oftentimes when that's the case, guys start thinking they have to do more, right? The yeah. offense hasn't been scoring a ton, so maybe D training guys think they have to do, you know, that they have to contribute more in that aspect. And guys are just trying to do more and, and offensive guys are trying to, you know, strip guys in the offensive. The first message is going to be don't panic and just, you know, play within yourselves and do your own job. Because, you know, we've found, we've had so much success with guys just worrying about themselves and making sure they, they you know, they play within their game. You don't mm-hmm. have to do anything too exceptional. You're not going to win this game single-handedly. It, it's going to be, it's going to take a collective group of, you know, 17 runners and two goalies. So that's going to be the first bit of it. And then the second bit is just be ready to play. Like, yeah. you know, we, we, like there's, there's, I don't know. There's only so many ways you can say that, but like, be ready to go from the opening faceoff because it's it's very clear that other teams are ready to play against us. So if we're not ready to go from that opening whistle, then we can expect to be down three or four to start to start off the game because teams are coming at us and they're flying. And I don't know if that's uh, a part of you know being defending chance and teams are riled up to play us because we walk in in and out jerseys or that's just. Mm-hmm. You know, teams are ready for the start of the season. You know, it's it's January and we haven't played since you know April and April and May. And guys are excited to play. Yeah. But we gotta be we gotta be ready to go from the very first whistle and, and be ready to hustle and and outwork the other team because uh, you know that's really when this team started finding all the success we had uh, two three seasons ago. It was because we were outworking teams and that was sort of our our mo. And and we're getting away from that now. And you know that's that's not a good sign. How much do you wish the game was tonight? <laughs> very, very much so. Pretty, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, that was – I was telling guys last week, I was pretty busy at work uh, between the game in Georgia and Toronto, and I loved it because, you know, the week just flew by for me. And, it, uh, you know, you obviously want to make amends for, mm-hmm. for your opening night, 18-10 loss, and then the trial game rolls around, and that didn't go much better, so – uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to Saturday night. It would have been nice to get one of those early week ones on Friday or a Thursday just to, yeah. uh, to get in there. But, uh, yeah, you know what? It'll probably be good. Give us more time to prepare and, you know, watch video and learn from all those mistakes we made. There's lots of them, so we've got plenty of time to go through video and get them all out. I'm sure you guys will be as prepared as ever. Uh, Corb, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, safe travels to Saskatchewan, and best of luck, and I'm sure we'll talk soon.
Yeah, thanks, Teddy. Appreciate the time. So there's Chris Corbeil, captain of the Saskatchewan Rush. Now, he said it could be complacency. And Steve Dietrich, the GM of the Buffalo Bandits, likened his team's 0-2 start to complacency. And, you know, targets on teams back. And we talked about the target being on the rush back um, long ago. The fact that they're two-time champs, everyone's going to be gunning for them. Well, everyone's gunning for the Bandits as well. They're gunning for the Blackhawks, the the Black Wolves. Not the Blackhawks, the Black Wolves, um, who are also 0-2. And everybody wants to knock the big bad beasts off their pedestal. Now, the complacency thing I can understand. I just, and I don't think this is, and and Chris kind of mentioned it, it's not a trickle-down effect from the front office and the ownership and the marketing and media people into that locker room. But I kind of think there is. You have to understand, this is a rush team that's, you know, was brutal in Edmonton for years. I was a part of it. But they've slowly gotten better. And because of Derek Keenan, they've helped build through the draft. And he's been just a genius with trades and draft picks. No one has done it better over the last, say, four or five years than Jammer. Look at the players that he has gotten and shipped out and brought in and moved around to create this juggernaut that we have seen. But you just, when you see this rush team, they are, and maybe it's jealousy a bit. And when you look at this rush, they are so close and so tight. They have such great chemistry between a lot of those guys because a lot of those guys have played um, junior ball together. Like how many guys were either Whitby or Coquitlam Adnac players um, in the late 2000, like 2010, 2013 kind of era, 2012, Mark Matthews and the Cornwalls and Church and, and McIntosh and Aaron Sorchetti and John Lafferty all those guys know each other. And so they have this camaraderie and closeness that kind of makes it feel like there's a bit of arrogance to the club. And then when you see the staff of the Rush going to, to Toronto and giving Sim, Sid and Tim a jersey on Sportsnet, and then they give Kate Burness a jersey, and they make a joke about how you know her brother or cousin Casey Beerns hasn't given her a jersey, so Beernsy pipes in and says, oh, I'm going to get you one. Then they make a jersey for Drake. Then they make a jersey, I think, for Kyle Lowry or Corey Joseph, one of the two guys on the Raptors. Then they get uh, Bob McKenzie of TSN to show up at their practice. Now, the McKenzie thing is a bit of a side story because he actually has connections to a lot of those Whippy guys. His son played with LaFontaine and uh, Matthews and Aaron Torchetti when they were growing up playing lacrosse in minor. So that's kind of a connection, and, and Keenan's from Whippy, so they, they know each other. But when was the last time you saw anybody in the Toronto market rep the rock? It just doesn't happen. And since day one with Bruce Urban, again, I was witness to this because I was on those early rush teams, he would buy page ads in the Toronto Sun and get, you know, Graphic artists to draw up things. I think one of them, he had Daryl Welsh beating up the Rock mascot or something like that um, in our first year. Like, he plays the devil. The devil's advocate. He plays the bad guy role. 
And so this year, the Rush walk into the ACC and they start handing out jerseys and they're bringing people down to shoot around. They're doing all this stuff. And then they get absolutely whooped in the first half. Again, they came back. They got to within one, um, but they just couldn't pull it all the way out. But, you know, that could have just been the, a byproduct of the Rock taking their foot off the gas. Now, you'd like to think that this Rush team is kind of like, you know, as Corbeil said, taking a couple punches in the face and get that wake-up call because they have to go home this weekend and host the Rochester Nighthawks in a banner-raising night in what's probably going to be a jam-packed house. And if you lay an egg at home and go 0-3 then all the success from the year before and all the fanfare that they built kind of comes to a screeching halt. So it'll be very interesting to see how Saskatchewan rebounds this weekend. It's also going to be interesting to see what Brian Lemon and the National Lacrosse League do in regards of Aaron Bolt. Now, the hit that he put on, I think it was Brad Cree. Um, And Cree was up the floor, and Bold comes out of his crease to make contact with the Toronto Rock player. Now, the hit isn't as devastating and jarring as the bouquet on Leung hit from last year. But this is the hit, one of the hits, the National Lacrosse League is trying to take out of the game. Now, Boldly got a five for illegal illegal body check. A focus call, again, that um, Brian Lemon and the rules officials have tried to focus on this year. But this is going to be a comment that I make about Calgary as well. Is you have Bold coming off a suspension, and in his first game back, he gets a five-minute major for illegal body check on a play that the National Cross League wants to take out of the game. So now you're going to have your home opener, and you may not have your number one goaltender. And we saw what happened when Tyler Carlson played in Georgia. He got absolutely lit up. And at points, he didn't even look like he wanted to be in there. So the Rush, while they may not be panicking, they're in a really tough spot. Because their schedule is not going to get any easier, obviously, as the season goes on. But after Rochester this weekend, they have to play Vancouver at home and then go on the road to Calgary before playing Rochester again. And then Colorado and Calgary come to Saskatchewan. Like, they're going to get some tests. And every game in the National Lacrosse League this year is going to be a test, but there's no easy game. And if they don't write this wrong quickly, you know, a couple more losses puts them in a pretty deep hole in the West, especially if they're losing to Western teams. Now, we talked about Toronto being 2-0. And now the Rush are 0-2. We mentioned the Bandits being 0-2. And and the news kind of got worse for them because Dane Smith left early in the contest against Georgia. And while it's being reported as a low body injury, there are pictures of Dane Smith walking around with crutches on. um, And he's probably a 50-50 bet to play this weekend. I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't think he's going to play this weekend. And that's a huge loss because he's the reigning 
NLL MVP, and he has one goal in two games. Sure, he's only played a game in a bit, but still. This is the guy who torched the league last year. And if he doesn't get into this game this weekend, he might even have a hard time cracking 100 points this year. And I know that's not Dane's sole focus. But they're 0-2. And if they drop to 0-3 when they play Vancouver at home this weekend, then they got to play New England and Toronto on the road back-to-back weekends. And then New England again. And then New England again. How about that? After they play Vancouver this weekend, they play New England, Toronto, and then New England back-to-back. Weekends. Not on the same weekend, but back-to-back weekends. That's ridiculous. How about getting all three of your games against one team out of the way within a month? And the fact that New England's also 0-2... And they have to go into Georgia this weekend to play the red-hot Georgia Swarm. The East could look pretty interesting come February 25th. Because this Georgia Swarm team is just scoring at nauseam. And it's ridiculous. Because, sure, Tyler Carlson wasn't on his A game, and there was no Aaron Bold to put in. But they still put up 18 goals on what is arguably the best defense in the National Cross League. And then this weekend, they did it again to another top-ranked National Cross League defense in Buffalo. And if they can do what they've done to Saskatchewan and Buffalo to New England, then they're 3-0, and and they're looking pretty all the way atop the Eastern Division. Now just imagine this. And the fact that Jordan Hall is fitting in is fantastic and how that has played out for John Arlotta and the Swarm, just they have to be head over heels. But imagine if they had Jesse King. How good that offense would be. And Mike Poulin got his first start as a member of the Swarm, and he played quite well. And now they host New England at home. And I've, I hope there's people in Georgia. It's like I said last weekend, going into last weekend with Vancouver. You got a team who's 2-0 and and playing some of the best lacrosse the organization has played in years. And if you go to your home rink and there's nobody there, it's, it's deflating. I think there was there was under four in Vancouver um, this weekend when Calgary came to town, which is also quite weird because when every Calgary comes to town, there's generally a pretty good crowd, seeing of how many Western guys are there, um, recorded as 3,513 at the LEC this weekend. Interesting to see... What's going to happen in Georgia? Again, their their first crowd wasn't great. Um, I I don't know if it's going to be any better this weekend because the Falcons um, are still alive. Um, maybe the good thing is that it's a Friday game and they don't really have to compete too much uh, with the weekend crowd. 
But when good teams play in front of small crowds, it's really unfortunate. And this Swarm team um, is fun to watch. Uh, I can't remember who I was talking to um, over the weekend. But they were saying, you know what, Georgia, while they may have some set plays, it's pretty much like a freestyle offense. It's just do whatever you want, backyard ball, and it's having success for them. 18 goals in back-to-back weekends. And they just continue to put up the numbers on everybody. So we'll have to see what New England team shows up and what Georgia team shows up. Because um, when I talked to Bill O'Brien um, after the game and even a couple of the other guys in the, the Black Wolves team, they said, you know what? It's probably good for us that we're going to play New England because we're going to want to smack – or sorry, that they're playing Georgia's because they're going to want to smack them in the mouth and bring them down a peg and get themselves on the right track because that's what this team is going to need, and that's what um, Buffalo needs, and that's what the Rush need. They just need to come out and smack somebody in the mouth and say, that's it, we've had it. Mind you, if it's the Black Wolves, they got to make sure they do it and not go to the penalty box because they're not so great on the man down. Still can't believe they... Had 14 penalties against Rochester two weekends ago. Blows my mind. Um, you kind of heard uh, Chris Corbeil talking about it. Um, that, that it is kind of noticeable that the refs are calling more. Um, but now, now here's the question: Are the are the refs calling more because so much stuff is happening, or are refs calling more because that much stuff was being missed? And I think it's the latter. I think that much has been missed in games because there's only been two sets of eyes, and now there's a third set, so we're a- the referees and officials are able to see more of the floor. And that can be a good thing or bad thing. You know, it's teams are going to have to figure out how to play in this new system, and guys are going to have to realize that you can't get away with all the extra crap. Can't get away with all those sneaky sticks and, and rabid punches and, and behind-the-play stuff. You got to adjust. Um, speaking to Bill O'Brien, uh, his latest U-Hawk video is out. He was one of the guys who was wearing it um, a couple weekends ago when they played Rochester, and I think he was wearing it again this weekend in Colorado, actually. And guys are wearing it. You know what? Again, like I said last week, I I like the dynamic of the U-Hawk camera. I think it's a great thing, um, a great vantage point for fans to kind of see what's going on. I still think they need to find a better way to adjust it so the camera's pointing down a bit more. Um, when you look at the one Bill O'Brien video, uh, I don't, maybe it's because he's like 6'6", and he's super tall, that the camera angle is a bit different. But if they can find a way just to tilt it maybe like 10 degrees so it's more towards the action on the floor, then you'll see a bit more. But here's, here's the thing that I've kind of caught on to. Now, because there's a microphone in these cameras, you're able to hear everything. But what you're also able to hear is nothing. And what I mean by that is that coaches will now be able to kind of go back to that footage 
and you know, say they want to go back and look at the overtime goal that Eli McLaughlin scored. By the way, here's the call. Here's Zach Greer. McLaughlin. Crawford to Greer. He gets a pick from Eli McLaughlin. There's Eli in the roll. McLaughlin pump fake scored. Game winner. Eli McLaughlin with a second of the day. And the Mariners will win it. 11-10, just 51 seconds into overtime. Is that really how I sound? Hmm. I have to work on that. Um, anyway, um, what the coaches may be able to do is go back and get the video and audio footage from Bill O'Brien's helmet cam and see if there was any talk within that pick. Because obviously there wasn't very good communication between O'Brien and Mitch McMichael. Because first of all, Bill O'Brien's about five feet off of his check. Secondly, Mitch McMichael doesn't open up to the pick. And then third, they both go towards Zach Greer, which allows Eli McLaughlin to slip through and score the winner. When I watch some of the other footage, um, especially uh, from Gamble's helmet cam in the Toronto-Rochester game, there are times when you can't hear people calling things out. You can't hear guys talking. And so it can be a great teaching aid because communication is so essential on defense, especially in the pick-and-roll game, that if you're not talking, you're not helping your teammate. And this camera can kind of be, you know, a tattletale, per se. Just kind of something that popped into my head. It's just one of those things, you know, like you can, like I said, you go back and watch um, one of the early ones the, the, in the Toronto game, the Toronto-Rochester game with Gamble. And there are moments where picks are coming and things are happening and nobody's talking. And they're just, guys are getting picked off and pushed out and, and there's just no communication. So I think, you know, it can be used as a bit of a tool that way. Now, we have to focus on Calgary and Vancouver because there's a like there are some really good rivalries in the National Lacrosse League. Obviously, whenever Toronto Buffalo, Buffalo Rochester, Rochester Toronto are involved, uh, those games are always good. Whenever, you know, Calgary Colorado this weekend is going to be fantastic. Calgary Saskatchewan has that rivalry that dates back to when both were in Edmonton. But because of the familiarity between Roughneck and Stealth players, it just makes for those games to be that much more exciting and that much more intense. And at the end of that game, with Calgary up 14-10, under 10 seconds to play in the game, I ask you this. Why is Joel McCready crashing the crease and trying to dive on Frankie Shiliano? True question. And I'm not trying to be, you know, antagonistic about this at all. This is a straight, honest question. Because Frankie Shiliano saw what was coming, and that's why he jumped out and initiated that contact with Crete. 
he knew McCready was going to die of his crease. And so he said, you know what? No way. It's not going to happen. It had happened a couple times before. And McCready is the type of player that's always going to go hard no matter what. I get that. <coughs> Excuse me. But that one goal wasn't going to change the game. You weren't going to score three goals in 10 seconds. There was no need for McCready to go and crash the cage like that. And what happened is that luckily all hell didn't break loose. Frankie tried to, you know, step out of it. You know, you could kind of see him backing away and trying not to get in any fights because like Bold, anything stupid that you do is going to come back to you, especially since he just got off the suspension. And now with misconducts and majors handed out to both Harnett brothers, there's got to be suspensions coming. And Harnett just came off a suspension. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Brian Lemon and the NLL come down on him. Reese Dutch got a five-minute major for a high stick on Harnett. It kind of looked a bit like Harnett embellished a little bit, but Dutchie did get him in the throat. There was another high stick earlier. Like there were, I think, five majors plus a couple game, a game and a 10-minute misconduct in there. And the league is going to have to look at this game. And I don't think, I don't know if they give anything to Reese Dutch. Maybe they fine him. Um, because, you know, if you go back and, and look, and I was able to see um, an email last week of discipline action, disciplinary action. And there weren't any suspensions, but a lot of guys did get fined for high sticks and match penalties and those sorts of things. So it wouldn't surprise me to see some of those five-minute majors resulting in fines. But I don't know about Frankie and I don't know about Greg Harnett because those guys could seriously... Um, face some repercussions. And it will really hurt them going into Colorado this weekend. Because it's another divisional game. It's a huge rivalry game. It's the first time the two teams have met um, in a real game since the overtime loss last year in Colorado or the win, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh I don't, there's not much left over from the bouquet hit, but that still lingers. And you're going into a game, and once again, you could be without your number one goalie. And you could be without one of your top D guys. Emotions run high in the National Lacrosse League, but so many things can be avoided. And this whole thing in the Calgary-Vancouver game could have been avoided if Joel McCready doesn't crash the crease with under 10 seconds left in a game that's already over. I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense, and it was unnecessary. And look what came of it. Probably suspensions, someone could have gotten hurt, and all hell could have broken loose. Luckily, it didn't. Um, We've kind of touched on a few of the games this weekend. Uh, There are four. New England is at Georgia in a battle of 2-0 versus 0-2. Calgary and Colorado, Vancouver at Buffalo, and Rochester at Saskatchewan. All games on NLL TV except 
if you're in Colorado trying to watch it. Unfortunately, because Colorado does their games on Altitude TV, they black out NLL TV in Denver. But everybody else can watch them. How do you feel about NLL TV? Last weekend was the first weekend of paid subscriptions. I didn't have any real issues uh, when I was watching parts of the games before uh, the game started last weekend and I had to go to work. I think they had all the bugs fixed. Or maybe once in the Colorado game, the feed dropped and there was just audio, no video. But I think it was rectified a little bit later on. But we'll see. Um, We're moving forward. They're putting more content um, for media breaks and halftime and and things like that. So we're not just getting blank screens, which is good. Um, Mia Gordon and Tyson Geick are trying to pump out as much stuff as they can with content. I know Tyson's going to be in Colorado this weekend doing a piece on the atmosphere at the Loud House. So that's going to be good. It'll be interesting to see uh, what comes from that. And an interesting article in the Business Journal this week that the National Lacrosse League tweeted out. Um, it was unfortunate that unless you were subscribed to the Business Journal, you couldn't read it. But thanks to all of our fine friends over on the IL Fan Forum, it's, the article has been posted there. And the conversation or the topic of expansion came up again. Um, and Commissioner Nick Sakevich said that he's in talk with 30 possible cities. Um, and they have 30 non-disclosure agreements signed with people that they're talking to. He said that the next two teams to come into the National Lacrosse League will be priced at $3 million. And then 12 and 13 teams will be more after that. It's interesting for him to put that $3 million number out there. I don't know why you would just come out and say it because... I don't know, maybe he's trying to get people to jump the bit because they said, oh, if I can buy it for $3 million now or I'll be paying more next year. So it might try to force teams to act a little quicker or new owners to act a little quicker. Um, but the interesting thing that he said, and it's not that interesting, it's kind of something we've always felt, but um, he said Philadelphia was one of the original teams in the league. I get emails from former Wings season ticket holders every week, if not every day. Philadelphia is Philadelphia running in the running for an expansion team absolutely has to be we have to bring a team here Philadelphia is a must I can agree with that I believe that the National Crossing needs to be back in Philly and you know how one of the ways I would go about it is look at all the people that grew up in Philadelphia as kids, and their dads took them to Philadelphia Wings games when Wings were just selling out in the early 90s and the mid-90s. Get all those people who were young kids at those games, and they're now you know, in their 30s, in their 40s, in their 50s, and get them to bring their kids. That nostalgia, bring that back. Like, if you're going to do it, you're going to reboot the Wings. And if you reboot the Wings, you got to go after the kids that were at Wings games. Not kids now, because kids now aren't going to be buying beers and merchandise and season tickets and all the other stuff. The reason Buffalo and Calgary and Colorado, and to an extent now, 
Saskatoon. The reason, mainly while they're succeeding, is because they're getting the middle-aged crowds in the door. The 25 to 45 demo, male and female. That's the target market of the National Lacrosse League. And if they're going to go to Philly or they're going to go to Edmonton or Minnesota or Nashville or Dallas, because if you haven't seen it, there's a petition going around trying to get lacrosse down in Dallas or go back to New York or St. Louis or Ottawa, Montreal. If you're ever going to go to a new city, you can't just go and get kids and say, oh, we got to target the youth market and, and the minor lacrosse teams and the kids that are playing. It doesn't work that way. You have to get the people who are going to come and spend money in the door. And the people that are going to spend the most money are guys my age. 25 to 45. That's who needs to come in the door because they're going to buy beer. They're going to buy lots of food. They're going to buy shirts and jerseys and hats. They're going to paint their face. They're going to go crazy. They're going to party. They're going to have fun. And they're going to make the environment and atmosphere inside your arena that much more enjoyable. Kids are great. I love kids. But you need the adult crowd in the doors. And if you're bringing them back to Philadelphia Wings, that's how I would do it. Just food for thought. I thought it was interesting that that article came out. Um, If you haven't seen it, um, I'm just going to... Copy a link onto my Twitter account. It will be out there um, at Off the Crossbar, so you'll be able to go and read it. That kind of does it for this week. Just trying to think if there's anything else floating around in my noodle. Mm, Don't think so. So uh, thanks to Chris Corbeil for stopping by. I always love talking to him, and you know, he he wore it on his shoulder. He said, "You know what? Yeah, sometimes." As a captain, you, you got to take it, and you got to soak one for the team. And I think they'll be okay. There's no reason to panic um, in Buffalo. There's no reason to panic in Saskatchewan. I don't think there's any, pa- any reason to panic in New England quite yet. We'll be able to uh, have a different conversation next week if all three of those teams lose, but we'll wait and see. Until then, would love to hear from you. Thoughts, comments, concerns. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Uh, we will see you and talk to you in a week's time. Uh, great meeting all the great fans uh, down in Denver after games at the Breckenridge Pub, which last time I was there was the Blue Sky Grill, I think. Um, but always great meeting the lacrosse fans down in Colorado. If you happen to be there, or you're a roughneck fan in, Col- in Colorado this weekend, come say hi. If I don't, I will talk to you in seven days, right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Until then, take a friend to a game, buy him a beer, and be excellent to each other.